Hey, what's going on? Welcome to Canucks Talk here on Sportsnet 650. I'm Jamie Dodd. My co-host is Canucks insider Thomas Trance, also covering the team at The Athletic. Canucks Talk brought to you by Avenue Machinery and Douglas Lake Equipment. Be a champion on the worksite. Find them together online at DLEAMC.com. We are coming to you live from the Kintech studio. Kintech Footwear and Orthotics. Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 2,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintech.net. 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Another barn burner in Abbotsford last night. <laughs> Transfer. Canucks fall 2-1 to the Kraken. Uh, burn the tape. In their, uh, as, as Dan Riccio made a point of saying on several occasions yesterday, their penultimate preseason game yesterday. Yes, burn the tape indeed. Thank goodness. Yeah, one only one more, guys. Only oh. one more to get through. We're getting there. You know, this is a shorter preseason than the Canucks usually seem to have. Like, I, I feel like there's a lot of seven games. Mm-hmm. Going back, it used to be like some eight games. Yeah. You know, that's a while ago now. But still yeah. way too long. Yeah, it's tough. It, it's still way too long. And before we get into before we get into the meat of kind of what happened last night and some bigger preseason thoughts and all that. Do, do you think, like, the player... Do you think anyone altered their stock in any way last the, night? Or yeah. well, hold on, but because it just felt like no one was into it. Before we get to that, just you know, as you're talking about the length of preseason and it's still too long, there's a perennial complaint. I don't know if it happens in every city where the team ends up not doing well, or if it's specific to Vancouver. But there's this perennial complaint that the team does not give like the real team enough preseason games to gel together before the regular season starts. And I think that's especially we hear it a lot here in Vancouver because of the slow starts. But I, I like I don't know what 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 more they can do. Like yeah, they sent the B team yesterday, but they've already had one game together on Saturday. They'll get another tomorrow. The Canucks cut more guys way faster than most of the teams around yep. the league. Like they got down to their numbers in a hurry. Oh yeah. So these guys have been practicing in a smaller focus setting. Like at a certain point, I don't know, two and a half games as dress rehearsal. That's not like that. That complaint holds no water for me. I see it all the time. Like, Oh, why aren't they giving these guys more of a chance to build chemistry? It's like, I don't know. This is preseason. Uh, yeah, how much chemistry are they building in an environment? Like I think that? they've had a pretty decisive training camp. I think they've been decisive in getting down to their numbers. I, you know, I don't think these, Races for roster spots have been particularly tightly contested, and I don't think there's a lot of drama going into tomorrow night. I mean, I'm curious to see at morning skate, like, you know, Anthony Beauvillier didn't have a particularly strong game, for example. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, does he remain on that line with Pedersen and Kuzmenko, especially given that, like, it's not as if Niels Hoaglander grabbed the reins last night, right? I mean, all it feels like so many of these races have sort of come down to... You know, I don't want to be as harsh as saying like a turtle derby. It just doesn't feel like there's a lot of suspense. I feel like we have a pretty good sense of what this roster looks like at this point. Um, I don't feel like anyone's made a late charge to introduce any drama. You know, the, the, it feels like the bigger drama is the excitement around the waiver wire every day in uh-huh. this market right now. So, you know, and look, I'm not going to be critical of the performance that I saw generally. I mean... There, there were some things I think might be signal rather than noise. Like, I didn't think it was a particularly strong debut for the Susie Heronic pair. Mm-hmm. I, I thought they had a much better third period, but for the first 40 minutes, really seemed to struggle. I thought McWard was fine. Like, you know, I, I'm watching him so closely just trying to be open-minded, especially because, you know, I was talking to some of my media colleagues and they were like, we thought he was good in the first game. 
uh, in Penticton. Like, you know, mm. I've heard you say he wasn't their best defenseman. I thought he was. And, you know, I'm thinking about it. I'm looking at the stats, and it's like, yeah, and I know he had a goal and an assist, but I didn't think the transition game looked that great. I just didn't think he stood out at all. Um, anyway, I was trying to watch it with an open mind. I thought his best sequences came six on five. Like, okay. late in yeah. the game, I thought he was authoritative in, in his puck-moving decisions with, with the net empty behind him. You know, I thought he was fine. Like, I, I think he takes good angles into the boards. I think he looks like he could play some games, but I don't think he looks like he can play some games over the long haul at an NHL level or wouldn't be better served spending 25 minutes a night playing all the time in the American League. I thought McWard looked good in the context of a relatively relatively young college free agent who played, what, five games in the NHL last year and is now getting his first shot at, at pro hockey, right? Like, yeah. he looked good in that context, which looking good in that context means, like, oh, I'm really excited to see what he does in the AHL this year. Totally. Maybe he's a call-up. He, he looked good in that context, not in the, oh, wow, this guy better play with Quinn Hughes. No. That, that, you know what I mean? And that's the gap that I think a lot of people are experiencing with Cole McCord. I'm still waiting for the dynamic thing. You know, like, I'm still waiting for, like, he had my attention because of the spot that he's put himself in. And one thing mm -hmm. I'd add you know, to your point, what you just mentioned is like it is a little more impressive for him to play unflappably given the unique pressure on him, right? Like for him, yeah. last night is a huge game. Like you, you play well last night, which he did, and you might make an NHL team. I mean, that's unbelievable, yeah. right? Like the stakes and are so much higher for him than they are for Brock Besser mm -hmm. or Andre Kuzmenko or something. And especially when you consider he's playing – away from Quinn Hughes. And now totally. I know in other games he's been moved away from Quinn Hughes, but still, that's like where you're starting. Yep. Quinn Hughes not on the ice, not in the lineup at all in that one. So that adds a level of difficulty for him as well. Yeah. Uh, you know what? Guillaume Brisbois was another guy who I didn't think had a particularly strong game. I, I feel like Juleson's going to be the seventh guy because of the waiver considerations mm -hmm. and, and barring a trade. I feel like it's going to be Willannon and that would, that would just be how I'd down. handicap it. We'll see how the Canucks actually line up uh, at morning skate tomorrow, but you know, that's how I'd handicap it on the back end. And then I think up front, we've known who the 13th forwards, 13 forwards are for a while. And for then sure. it's just a question of Mikheyev's status, but, which brings me back to the other thing. One thing, because I've talked a little bit about the things that have concerned me as training camp. I've talked a lot about the things that have concerned me as training camp has rolled along. But here's one huge positive. No one's been hurt. It's true. Yep. Like that's amazing. That's not a even huge... like an injury scare or anything. Really. No, no. I mean, I mean, knock on all of the you know wood in every forest you can find in this beautiful town. But last year it was like every practice, like Travis Dermott's leaving, yeah, Tucker Pullman's leaving, like uh, Besser, Brock Besser. Mikheyev. Brock Besser has disappeared from the scrimmage, and we have no idea why. McKay, like it was, you know, it mounted so fast, so early, and it did sap this team's momentum before they even could get out of the block this year to this point anyway like last night I'm watching it's the second to last preseason game I'm like man it's a lot of passion on either side tonight which is fine and then I start to think you know really the thing that matters most is if you can get through this game yes like a couple more practices and one more preseason game unscathed that's huge That'd be great for this team. Yeah, and that felt like the focus for both teams, really. Yeah, I mean, quite you know, reasonably. The Kraken played hard, but it was also so clearly their B lineup, right? Like it wasn't, it wasn't a particularly impressive <laughs> game from them necessarily yeah. either. You know, like they played like the Kraken, but just a much less, right? So it was like, okay, that's fine. 
but it wasn't like daunting or anything like that. I'm trying so hard not to make Ely uh, Tolvanen into like the NHL version of Kenny Pickett. Like, wow, what a preseason, you know, because it doesn't mean anything. But my goodness, he like that finish that he had on the game winner. Yeah, was so cool. It was just so cool. He just stepped into it and absolutely unloaded. unleashed. Yeah. It was it was, it was phenomenally confident. Um, and and so I'm watching him thinking like, is this guy? I've been talking about Ty Cartier, but is this guy the breakout forward on the Kraken? Well, didn't he kind of break out for them after he? No, he played really well. Right, he played really well. But it, you know, I think he broke out as like a good pickup for the bottom six. Mm. You know, I wonder if he's got uh, certainly his draft pedigree and and scoring profile in uh, in Liga as a younger man. But yes, I mean, sixteen goals and forty eight points. You do that if he can sustain that over a full season for sure. <laughs> for sure, he's a breakout guy. I just, yeah, I mean, he's really cool. He's just a really cool player. He's a good player. Yeah, yeah, that was a good pickup by them. Uh, is there anyone else? Even like Joshua had a couple chances. I don't know if Joshua and Beauvillier were who were in Rick Tockett's mind. When he noted the thing about bearing down, bearing down, um, I don't know. I mean, those were, it felt like those were the only guys who were at all, you know, wasteful. And I don't mm-hmm. even think they were, to be totally honest with you. Yeah, I don't know. It, like there was other guys who had moments, had yeah. good moments. Kuzmenko like, had a really cool pass on a punch turn on the wall. That yeah, was but fun. I think almost everyone who had good good moments, exciting moments, also had like negative moments to offset those, right? And yeah. you talked about the Hronik susie pairing having a strong third period, and I thought, you know, Hronik did some good things in the offensive zone, but there was also a lot of weaknesses and sloppiness in the D zone from that pairing early in the game. So it's not as if you come out of it thinking like, oh, wow, there's really something there. It was There were good parts of it, but there were parts of it holding it back as well. And, you know, same thing with like Kuzmenko and Besser. And I think that was one of the things we talked about Yesterday was okay. Kuzmenko without Patterson, Besser without Miller. Yeah, what these does it look are guys like? that are going like can they be drivers on a line even in a preseason environment like this? Because I think it's fair to be wondering about the secondary scoring on this team, and I think for Kuzmenko in particular, it's fair to wonder what's he going to look like away from Pedersen. Because I think it's a real possibility, given the issues that Tockett has had with Kuzmenko already, that he does spend time away from Elias Pedersen. I think it would be a far more realistic possibility if some of Vancouver's other wingers had been had, stepping up. Well, yeah, take it had like made a real assault on winning a roster spot, right? I yeah. mean, you know, like Archdeep Baines, for example, I thought had a pretty tough game last night. Right, uh, doesn't take away a really strong training camp performance from him, or the fact that he's improved massively over the course of his twelve months as a professional hockey player. Uh, I'm still bullish on him, but I, you know, it wasn't his strongest game. So, like, yeah, it's the idea of there being push from beneath just has not materialized. Just never materialized nope. at all at Canucks training camp, and and I do think that sort of left them with, you know question marks or non-question marks, whether it's, you know, Beauvillier on the top line, Di Giuseppe on the second line, which isn't a question mark, but I mean, you know, I think we should still be looking at it as something we're not sure about, uh, at least in terms of it working. Um, you know, McWard on, like, these are, the question marks are higher up the lineup than you want them to be at oh, this yeah. time of year. No question about that. And yet, none of this matters. The team has stayed healthy. And, you know, I, I think there have been... A lot of reasons to be concerned and a lot of reasons to just be like, oh, it's just preseason. Yeah, and I thought like even that game last night felt like the 
I mean, obviously the one in Calgary where it's like there's barely any NHL players playing, but like in some ways that one felt like the most preseason oh, game, just far. because you could tell like the like I feel bad even being like Kuzmenko didn't drive offense away from Elias Pettersson because it was just such a non NHL environment. It was such preseason hockey that it's really hard to uh, draw conclusions from you know the individual performances of any of the players, especially relatively established guys like Kuzmenko and Besser. I think you'd still love to see some push from the you know the AHL guys who got that chance and guys farther down the lineup. But for the established NHL players, I think it's really hard to draw conclusions from what we saw last night. Now, having said that, you know, as we near the end of the preseason schedule, they'll play their final one tomorrow, hosting the Calgary Flames, and we'd expect to see, uh, you know, the the quote-unquote dress rehearsal lineup in that game from the Canucks, but there's been certain themes that, you know, we've talked about that I see coming in in the text message inbox on social media of thoughts, concerns, whatever, strengths maybe, about what the Canucks the Canucks have done in the preseason so far. And I think, you know, I, I wanted to do a little bit of exercise. Are we buying these talking points? Are we selling these talking points? Where do we stand? Is it, is it a hold maybe on these talking points? And I think number one, and you referenced Rick Tockett's commentary about it, about bearing down on chances. I think one of the big things is concerns about this team's scoring and will they be able to score enough? And that start, you know, I mentioned the secondary scoring concerns, but also just if they're more focused on, on defense, are they going to be able to create chances? And, you know, that like when I heard Rick Tockett talking about bearing down on the chances, my initial thought was kind of, okay, that's fair, but you also have to generate way more chances. Like, I don't think missing the net is the biggest problem. I think a lack of scoring chances uh, is the problem here. But it's also, you know, it's the caveat that it is preseason. Are you buying, buying or selling that offensive struggles could be a real concern for the Canucks going into the regular season. Yeah, and I'm not the right guy to ask because I was buying that before, right? Mm. And and one thing that I think's dangerous and that I try and like check myself on is confirmation bias especially from meaningless games, right? Like especially in the preseason. You know, we were talking about it I was like I'm I don't take it for granted that the Canucks fill, are going to fill the net. Yeah. They were 20th and 5 on 5 scoring, right? I mean, how many times have you heard me say that mm-hmm, before they mm-hmm, hit the ice? Mm-hmm. And now we, not to mention the Rick Talkett history thing. And for me, you know, the way the Arizona Coyotes played and the fact that the Canucks actually weren't that productive five on five last year anyway, despite having a historic shooting season from their leading scorer and a top line that was on Fuego, 15 plus percent um, conversion rate. You know, like for me, those are valid reasons to be concerned about the team's offensive production or ability to generate offense the the preseason performance is not you know let me let me give you an example the Canucks through um the preseason so far at least based on non-neutral site games because non-neutral site games don't provide us with underlying data Mm. are are generating shots at the fourth lowest rate in the NHL in preseason action and are generating expected goals for at the third lowest rate of any NHL team in the preseason. And that sounds scary. Ooh, spooky season. Until you realize that they're sandwiched for fourth, like fourth last, between the Vegas Golden Knights and the New Jersey Devils, two teams (laughs) that are not going to struggle to score. Yeah, especially the Devils. So, you know, I really, yeah, the Devils play warp speed hockey. (laughs) And Vegas, Vegas like pummels teams pummels them with 
high quality scoring chances. So, you know, the fact is, is that I'm not, I am concerned about the Canucks offense, but I'm concerned about the Canucks offense for reasons that I believed prior to training camp and the preseason. What I've seen in the preseason actually does not concern me at all in terms of this team's goal scoring ability. My, My far bigger issue is, you know, I don't know that this team has a lot of guys who like primarily drive five on five offense by themselves. Mm. And I think this team's been built in such a way where they're maybe a little stodgy in terms of moving the puck from the back end out. And, you know, they've, they've maybe got a few too many guys who are like defense or grit only on the, on the, at the bottom end of their lineup. Like that, that to me is, that to me is the concern. It's not what we've seen. Yeah. And for me, it's like a hold on this for me because I think a lot of what we've seen in preseason in terms of offensive struggles is really we haven't seen Elias Pettersson or JT Miller at anything close to 100% effort level, right? And that's not a criticism. That's just a fact. That's where they are in their careers. They're going to take a little bit more time to really get going, but I have full confidence that they'll both be ready to go on uh, on Wednesday against Edmonton. But it's just so hard to judge what this team is going to look like at five on five offensively, especially without those guys at anything close to their full speed. You know what I mean? It's just like it's just not what the team is going to look like now. So maybe there are some other things about you know the way they're breaking out the puck and Tockett's philosophy and all those things, and those are concerns. But I don't think you can judge. You can even begin to judge what this team is going to do in terms of filling the net uh, at even strength until you see the real versions of Elias Pettersson and JT Miller. We all know, like we all know, those are the guys that are going to drive offense for this team. As you said, they better be because there's not a lot of other candidates on the roster to do it. And really, I mean, the only star player I think we've seen come close to look look like what they're going to in the regular season is Quinn Hughes. The inbox filling up, by the way, with people calling me a moron for comparing the Canucks to the Devils and the Golden Knights. And I want to be clear, I was not. <laughs> I was saying throw away a data set in which the Canucks have struggled because those teams who are clearly yeah. superior have also struggled. That could be That could be the Stanley Cup final, by the way. Oh, yeah, easily. And it'd be fun. Like, that would be... That'd be a great. I would watch every second. Clash of Styles? Devils, Golden Knights? That'd be fantastic. I'm like, I would watch every second as if I wouldn't watch every second if it were. (laughs) I was like, do you normally not watch the Stanley Cup? uh, So I'm doing watchability rankings with Dim for the PDO cast, right? Yeah. And I'm ranking all these teams by watchability. So including the teams at the very bottom, like the least watchable teams in hockey. Mm -hmm. And I'm going through it and I'm just like, oh, but I'm kind of interested in... You know, and I, and I realize I'm like the wrong guy. You are because like who is um who is Dim saying is currently listed as the Bruins second line center? Uh, <laughs> Matt, Matthew Poitras. And you're like, oh yeah, but he's awesome. He's fun. It's like, what are you talking about? <laughs> he is fun. <laughs> That's a completely insane take. I'm going to tune into the Bruins to watch Matthew Poitras. Well, that's like, you know, I'm ranking the Ducks in the bottom seven, and I'm like, but if Olin Zellweger's on that team, like, my goodness. <laughs> oh, you just wait. <laughs> like, there, it's it's really hard to build a team like the Flyers where I'm actively not interested to see anything you do. Yeah, yeah, yeah Like, yeah. it's really hard. You have to have the perfect marriage of coaching, personnel. Like, you have to have a lot going your way for me to be like, yeah, I mean, there's just nothing there I care about. Yeah, you you like hockey almost too much to do the watchability rankings. I oh, know because you're just like, oh, it's hockey. I'll watch it. Um, I'm... <laughs> Some guy that I saw play in the OHL like six years ago. He's in the lineup. Sweet, let's go. 
Let's I'm see so, how he's developed. I'm so excited for next week, man. Like, oh, I'm yeah. so I excited. Mean, it's going to be fantastic. Uh, the best. Yeah. The best. Um, speaking of which, I, I don't want to uh, spoil uh, your watchability rankings with Dim coming up. And by the way, great to have Dim back on the air yeah. here on Sportsnet 650. We'll he's going to join tomorrow. us tomorrow, yeah. right? Yeah, that's always fun. Um, Canucks, watchability. Because I feel like... Very high. See? Really? Higher than you'd think, at least. Like, roughly average. I could see them being less watchable than previous years, but better. I think that's a good take. You know what I mean? There's but like, risk. But I think there's downside to the watchability and the fun factor. You know what I mean? So, And this ties into the offensive thing we're talking about and the Rick Tockett effect. Well, you know what? Let's have fun with this. Let's, let's, let's kick it to, to commercial. Let's pay right. some bills. But when we come back... I want you to use the break productively for once. <laughs> no, let's both build our list of the three things we're most excited to watch from an entertainment value perspective about the Canucks this season. And let's invite our listeners right, to text that's good. in. I like it. Give us your list too. And uh, and then we can build like a text submissions top three. Yeah. You know what I mean? And we'll have three top threes to compare. And we can do that in the next segment so there before you go. we welcome our guests. What are you most excited to watch for the Canucks this year. And I realize whenever we put a question like this, we're going to get some sarcastic answers, and that's okay. No, those... try to send in some genuine ones as Mo well. More than okay. That is encouraged. <laughs> 650. Because I can't do it. I need you to do it. Yeah. 650, 650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Send your submissions in. What are you most excited to watch for the Canucks? I'm excited this to watch year? the mid January panic press conference. Yes, yes, yes. Like, exactly. I can't say that, but you can. Uh, you just said it. <laughs> you well, just yeah, said it. But I did it in the voice of a fan oh okay i see i, I see. didn't that, do it in my own voice that's like in uh in seinfeld when they realize saying not that there's anything wrong with that with let them get away with anything wow that's exactly what it's like <laughs> it's pretty similar <laughs> anyways we will take a break yada 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 more canucks talk we'll be coming back. up on the other side it is sportsnet 650 Hitting the most important topics for Vancouver sports fans. The People's Show with Vic Nazar. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Canucks Talk, Sportsnet 650 with Jamie Dodd and Thomas Drance, live from the Kintech studio. 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Dunbar Lumber with three stores to serve you in Ladner on Bridge Street or Dunbar Lumber Express at Ladner Center or Arbutus in Vancouver online at DunbarLumber.com. So we, uh, we invited you previously... Uh, in the last segment there, to send in to the Dunbar Lumber text line what your the three things you're most excited to watch for the Canucks this season. And uh, you have responded. Still time to get your thoughts in. Hit us up. Uh, a surprisingly low amount of uh, sarcastic answers, which impresses me from, from the listeners. we got a lot of serious engagement, which I appreciate. Do we want to start with the listeners? Do we want to start with ours, Drancer? I, as, as you advised, I used the break productively to make my list. Yeah, let's start with ours. All right. You want to go first? Sure. Okay. Number one. Just Quinn Hughes. Okay. Not Quinn Hughes shooting more. Not Quinn Hughes contending for the Norris. Just I, Quinn Hughes is fun to watch every night at the rink. The thing about really star level, like really high level elite, the best in the world players, which Quinn Hughes is one of, 
is it's not just the big plays. It's not just the obvious highlights. Mm. It's like Hughes will have some small move that he makes like with his hips or with his shoulders before he gets a puck that sends checker in the completely wrong direction. Mm-hmm. And then Hughes is completely free to turn. Like he does all these little things all over the ice that especially when you get to see it live from a high vantage point in the press box, it's mind blowing. So that's number one. Number two is just Elias Pettersson. Sure. Elias Pettersson at his imperious, efficient best is a force of nature, right? Like, you can see him thinking. What I like about watching Pedersen play is that you can see the gears working, and then the outcome is so precise it might as well be AI, right? Like, he's deep blue in hockey player form. Yeah. Watching Pedersen play. So those two. And then JT Miller, and this one's not just JT Miller. JT Miller working the power play. Now, mm. now I'm a little worried about the third one because the Canucks have changed up so much of what they do on the power play. I don't think it's all going to run through him the same way. But JT Miller on the power play is like genius level. Just a maestro, a conductor of the highest order. He's one of the smartest five-on-four players I've ever seen. I think he's the smartest five-on-four player the Canucks have had in my lifetime. And yes, I'm including the Twins there. It, it, it's just incredible to watch him operate with the man advantage, with that extra space. Uh, and so those are the three things. I like it. Um, so we have a bit of overlap here. Now, I, I cheated, as I tend to do on these lists, because otherwise Elias Pettersson and Quinn Hughes take up too much of the list. So I'm making them my number one. The two together, the two undisputed superstar players on this team. And to echo what you were saying about Quinn Hughes, I think the thing in particular about having a defenseman that's so fun to watch like Quinn Hughes is one, he touches the puck so much, right? Like he is, he's on the ice all the time. He is so heavily involved whenever he's on the ice. So just the volume of interesting, fun things he does is off the charts, right? Like it's even, even compared to a forward like Elias Pettersson, where obviously it's going to be more flashy. Hughes just has the puck constantly. Like he's constantly in a position. And you know, to your point about the subtle things, I think the most exciting plays that Quinn Hughes makes, it's not setting up a goal. It's not even, you know, leading the rush through the neutral zone. But just the number of times that he gets on a puck and 98% of the defensemen in the league would be in serious trouble. And within two seconds, the Canucks are, like, successfully going. He's, like, untied the knot. Yeah. Yeah. You know what I mean? And it's just, like... It it almost it, it it rarely looks flashy. Like it's not like he's doing no, it with like it an doesn't. incredible right. burst of speed or like oh my gosh, I get, it's not going to end up on a highlight reel or anything. And I think sometimes we become a, a little immune to it almost because we're so used to it. But when you actually look at it and think like, how would any other defenseman almost have handled that situation? And you're like, oh, they would have they would have reversed the puck around the boards. They would have gone off the glass and out. And instead, Quinn Hughes is like confidently skating over the blue line. Yeah. And two and two four checkers are caught deep. And just that happens like ten times a night. It's insane when you really watch it and sit down how he does it. It's yeah, it's really fun. really impressive. Uh, and so I think I you know I would give him the the uh the slight advantage over Elias Patterson but I mean look Elias Patterson uh is fantastic to watch too obviously um number two for me and this is one we'll get into the listener submissions because there's a lot uh that have come in and you can send yours in 650 650 this is one that's come in a few times uh number two for me is Philip Ronick. and really here is because 
it's less about the individual player and more about his role on the team. And specifically, like, when was the last potentially dynamic puck mover the Canucks have had other than Quinn Hughes? You know what I mean? When have they had a guy who at least has the chance to play at the level that Philip Ronick can who hasn't been partnered with Quinn Hughes. Cause like Chris Tanev is a great defenseman, but he was always on the ice with Quinn Hughes. So just the effect of having a guy like Hronick, if he reaches his potential, if he plays to the best of his abilities on the ice, when Quinn Hughes isn't on the ice, a defenseman who can actually make some dynamic of offensive plays, who can move the puck at a high level. Like that's just been completely absent from Canucks hockey for a long, long time. So the fact that they at least have a chance to have that player, uh, in the fold now, I think that is very high for me on my list. Number two, and this one's cheating maybe a little bit, but number three for me is uh, is is in just the overall experience of Canucks hockey this year. Number three for me is Rick Tockett. I really like listening to Rick Tockett talk about hockey. I really like listening to him talk about the Canucks. I think no matter. I think sometimes, like, you know, we've joked a lot, obviously, in this market about, like, the Rick Tockett lexicon. And, you know, part of that is tongue-in-cheek. But I think sometimes people think we're, like, side-eyeing it. And, like, I'm not at all. I enjoy hearing from a guy who was incredibly successful in the NHL, who's been a part of some really successful teams as a, as a member of the coaching staff. Like, I really enjoy hearing his philosophy on hockey and what he thinks uh, goes into making it successful. And the thing, the great thing about Rick Tockett is he's so honest you know, if the team's playing well, I think he's going to give us really interesting answers about why they're playing well and what they need to do to sustain it. If the team is struggling, I think we're going to continue. Like, even last night, you know, like, hey, we're not vocal. We don't talk enough on the ice, right? Like, that's something he said before, but it's, again, interesting to hear. Not necessarily what I would have expected to hear after that game. And I, it's just been really interesting to kind of get to know Rick Tockett through his interviews and through his answers. And I got to be honest, like, I'm excited for that to continue. I think he's going to provide some really, really interesting thoughts, no matter what happens for the Canucks this year. Yeah, I think you're right. His his frankness is refreshing. Yeah. You know, and like, you can be frank, you can't lack all tact, mm -hmm. right? Because... It wasn't long ago, probably eight, nine months ago, that we were having a similar conversation about, maybe it was 12 months ago, but a similar conversation about Jim Rutherford's honesty, right? And yep. and how there was a radical honesty that he was attempting in this market and no one ever has. And then he probably did say some, well, probably, he said some impolitic things about his coach mm -hmm. and felt burned by it. And obviously his communication style has been wildly different since as he's scaled back how often we hear from him, right? So... Maybe the same thing happens to Rick Tockett, but I'm hopeful. I'm hopeful that he'll find that balance. So far, he's struck that balance. I think so, too. And he delivers even the criticisms in a way where it's not like old school hockey coach. Like, I'm disgusted. I have contempt for this player and I'm torching him in the media. You know yeah. what I mean? It's like tough love. It's probably a little bit of a cliche, but he delivers it in a way where it's honest. It's frank. It's candid. I'm sure the player doesn't love it. But it doesn't feel like it's burning bridges. <laughs> you know what I mean? No. And that's the difference, I think. And that's what makes it him sounds able a lot, to do it. It sounds a lot like what you imagine his conversation would be with the player itself. Yeah, with the player directly, right? And just, you know, honest, but not without doing it in a, like, a capriciously or gratuitously mean uh, way. So, like, Rick Tockett, I got to be honest. And uh, and also just to see how he works through some of the uh, some of the problems that this Canucks roster presents. Oh, and there's a lot of them. Um, here's some suggestions that I liked. Kuzmenko connection with EP. Mm -hmm. That's a 
you know, because that was super fun last year. And it's going to be really hard for them to maintain that same level of production, right? I mean, so much of what made that special was they'd make four outrageous passes in a row. But if you don't score, it's not a highlight. Right. You know, which isn't fair, by the way. I still enjoy the the puck movement. So often, though, like most often, those ended up in the back of the net. Will that happen again this year? And is it as magical? Does it feel as magical? If there is some regression in terms of both the on ice and, and Kuzmenko's personal shooting percentage, that that to me is interesting. Uh, yeah, that's a good one. Uh, this one comes in from uh, Marcus and Gibson's. He says number one is Dempko's return to the top, and uh, he also goes include includes Hughes. I think if we were doing like a composite Dunbar Lumber text line top three, Hughes would be number one. Like instantly, as soon as we put yeah. the call out there, people started texting in about how excited they are how, to how, watch Quinn Hughes. How much of that is connected to the fact that that he's the captain now? Well, that, that and that Pedersen's not extended. I think both of those things are true. I think with Hughes, and this is I think if Pedersen not... was signed long term, it would be like I think people are are just like stealing themselves a little bit. I think there's an element of that, and I... so I think Hughes has become more cemented as like the most exciting Canucks player because of things that don't actually pertain to their on ice. I do also think, and again, this is not an on ice thing, and it's tied into the long term extension. There's more. There's more of a sense of with Quinn Hughes that we've kind of have watched him develop into like the fully realized version of himself and that that ties into the captaincy right because he has become so much more vocal and he's so much more front and center uh in the media i think there's maybe a little bit more sense of a relationship between fans and quinn hughes now and i think that plays into it i think that's i want to be clear i'm not criticizing pd for this at all i think they just have different personalities right but one personality makes it a little easier uh, for the fans to develop that connection. And I think that's what we're seeing with a lot of the excitement of Quinn Hughes, too. I also like the Can Elias re- repeat 100 points was a submission from Harge from Surrey. I think it's going to be really hard, by the way, especially if this, like, I don't think we're ready for the group step back in terms of eye-popping production mm. that the top players on this team are, in my opinion, likely to have based on regression and based on what's going to happen when you know, you're actually accountable to, like, play defense and not just go after it. You know, because this team played... This team didn't play a team game last year. No. Well, and, and there is something interesting, right? The past two seasons, they've had Elias Pettersson, what, 102 points? JT Miller, 99 points. Yeah. And the results in both seasons, not nearly what they wanted no. at the start of the year. So... I well, think a lot of fans would accept, you know, leading scorer has 85 points, but the team is actually playing a team game. The yeah. team is actually good, right? Like that that's a trade-off that I think a lot of people would accept. You could just smell how more how much more individualistic the environment got over the course of the last two seasons too, right? And I'm not blaming the coach by the way. I think it's I think there's more like I think there's a variety of different dynamics that cause that, including different contract expiries and mm. and on and the timing and staggering of when deals were done. But I really think if this team plays the way that Rick Tockett wants them to, uh, even without talking about systems, just like less loosey goosey, a little bit more controlled on breakouts, less run cuts. Yeah, I, I do think you're going to see uh, scoring totals to depress almost across the board for some of Vancouver's top scoring players. Um, Marcus and Gibson's also brought up Thatcher Demko, which I haven't seen uh, come in a lot, a couple times here in the inbox as we talk about, you know, what you're most excited to watch. And that's an interesting one because goalies 
sometimes are a little bit like offensive linemen, right? Where you don't want to think about them. You just want to know that they're back there making the saves and doing what they're supposed to do. But Demko at his best has provided some like season highlight moments for the Canucks. You know what I mean? That like at the end of the season, when you're thinking back of memorable plays end up on, uh, on that list. Was it in like, was it the season that Travis green started? I think it was against the Rangers. He had just this unbelievable sequence uh, early in the year. I think while Travis green was still here. And that was kind of like one of the defining plays of that season. Thatcher Demko at his best is capable of being that type of entertaining player. I think we forgot that a little bit last year. But, like, in addition just to his importance of the team, I think if Thatcher Demko's on top of his game, yeah, it's fair to have him as one of the more exciting players. Yeah, what, what what's fun about Demko, too, is when he's dialed, um, you know, I think he's a little bit more flexible in terms of when he abandons save selection. Like, the like he's not as rigid in mm. his save selection as a lot of other technically – excellent goaltenders are so he'll make and but but it's also not random right like Demko thinks a lot about body position and playing the percentages so even when it looks like he's flailing like center strong right he's got the middle of the net he's still playing the odds in in a really fun way not that you can like it's also to me who doesn't know anything about goaltending right it looks panicky but I know for him it's not anyway. We we just see like at least a couple like scorpion kick saves or like that sequence against the Rangers yeah. a couple years yeah. ago. And it's just like scintillating stuff in net from Demko when he's dialed. I, I wanna this segment's been way too positive for me, so I gotta bring it down. Um <laughs> Well, there's some that are there's some in the inbox. You go first, but there's some in the inbox that are like not purely negative but like things that have a downside that they're curious to see how it sure. goes right we can get into those uh, one is assuming Hughes and Heronik are on separate pairs having two pairs that can reliably move the puck and what that might do for the offense there's a lot we need to see before I'm ready to say that a pair yep. with Heronik is simply going to be able to move the puck because Philip Heronik is on it certainly didn't look like that last night I'd add, too, that while Quinn Hughes is a one-man breakout machine and his pair will be able to get out of the zone whenever he has the puck, like, some additional support still matters for him. You still have to have that baseline of puck skills to not waste his possessions. Mm -hmm. Like, I think the idea that this defense is going to be better as a group moving the puck, I mean, I buy it to an extent, but is it good enough? You know, is it as good as it was toward the end of the year last year when you had, like, Bear, Willannon, Hughes... Um, McWard and Hirose in the lineup like that you know all of a sudden you had four and a half five guys who could move the puck then the Canucks started to be able to control play in a meaningful way um, you know you, you take out some of those guys you sub in Susie and Cole who I like a lot as like penalty killers and you know defensive minded defensemen I don't know that you're moving the puck as well as this team did down the stretch last season so I'm I'm out on that being something you should take to the bank don't take it to the bank yet <laughs> don't uh don't go one, deposit it uh this text came in and one is quinn hughes scoring which is a very very common one in the inbox and i understand it um two i, I understand it but also like quinn hughes doesn't need to score to be excited well that's the thing yeah. i think like, i get why they're looking for that next step in his game but he's ex- exciting just pl- <laughs> he's just exciting being quinn hughes uh two is miller under talk which is something we can talk about because this is falls into that category of like things people are curious about and three <laughs> And this I find fascinating to include on this list is how the team handles adversity. And it's a fascinating inclusion because it it might end up being painful. (laughs) But, like, I agree that it's a fascinating question to ponder, right? Because that has been such a difficulty. Like, this team has felt like 
front runners to an extent, right? Like, hey, when things are going well, we're go- we're going to play well. But <laughs> as soon as the adversity hits, all of a sudden, yeah. there's big problems. So I get what the texture is saying there. Um, it's just that it could have, you know, if the if the answer is positive, I can see it being a really entertaining thing and something that you really like to watch about the team. If the answer is negative, it's going to feel uh, like deja vu all over again here for the Canucks. Um, someone says exci- uh, excited to see the Canucks clear cap space. Probably Drance. I pro- <laughs> I promise you, I'm not waiting for this club to make like smart, sharp, long sighted moves that might inevitably create an environment for a really great team to play in this market. Like I'm out on that because it's never going to happen. I now know that. Well, Don't, worry. Also, like- Don't worry. Don't worry. All hope is dead inside me. <laughs> but but I'm happy to I'm happy to pretend to indulge your false hopes. Sure, text in your false hopes. But the thing that I and this like. I'm here for those. I was talking about this a lot in the run up to training camp and stuff when people are like, "Oh, trade trade Myers, trade Myers." Now is not the time when clearing cap space really matters. Like I understand there are things you can do in season, right? You can facilitate trades and stuff, but like this is not the, you know, high leverage time to open up cap space. This no. is not when you want to be making like moves that are primarily you, focused on opening cap space. You want to start doing that toward the end of a season which you want has to set yourself poorly. up to go into the summer with caps but i'd add this like the canucks have mostly got short-term commitments now on the books like the only long-term commitment for an aging player is is the one to jt miller mm-hmm. right like there's no other deal that you'd look at and be like that should be a priority to move so this club can launch a long-term accumulation and build something worthwhile strategy the sort of thing they should have done 10 years ago like you're, you're we're kind of past that you know, like this club has already made their reset moves, their retooling moves, and have locked themselves in at least short term to this. Yeah, and I, I also just think like now, hopefully, even, it's fun. Even if our, even if you do really prioritize cap space, like now is not the time to be thinking about it. Right now is the time to be thinking about how you squeeze the most on the ice <laughs> out of what you have in the in the fold. Because you can't like, okay, great, you trade Tyler Myers, you have six million in cap space. Can't go sign a free agent right now. It's funny how this segment over the course of 20 minutes started to disgust me, by the way. <laughs> you suggested it. I know. You and set I was, it up. You and want, I was into you it. You set a trap for yourself. I'm so excited to watch meaningful hockey that I, you know, was starting to get all excited about all the fun NHL games. And then, you know, people are sending in their optimistic Canucks takes. And I'm like, ugh. <laughs> This is nonsense. You have no one to blame but yourself. Oh, I you know. Asked. I, I, you asked people what they're excited to watch. I know, I know. I just, I didn't realize that. I didn't, <laughs> didn't realize they'd be so excited. I, yeah, I didn't realize all these optimistic takes would be so bad. There's some, no, there's, <laughs> there's plenty of good ones. How dare you? Don't take shot, gratuitous shots at our listeners like that. I am just kidding. Come on. No, you know what? Honestly, it's just training camp, such an optimistic time of year. And what was kind of interesting but about it, this Canucks it, training camp it hasn't been. is that it hasn't been. And yet nothing's gone outwardly wrong. Like it's a far more optimistic. Well, nothing's gone outward. No significant injuries. No significant off ice drama. Yeah. Okay. No. All right. Because I was gonna say one thing that has gone outwardly wrong is the p- guys not pushing. Sure. Right. Like that, and I think that but is that, notable. The, but that it's notable, but it's also normal. Sure. You know, like it's normal that a 22 year old hasn't leveled up the way you'd hope. Like that's that's why the NHL is hard to make. Yeah, but it's not like it's not as if it's something that never happens. No, no, you know no. What I mean, it, but but it's not the upside case, but it's also not the extreme downside case. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, we're kind of just living in. The fat, the fat part, part of the bell, of the bell curve. curve. 
Did, you that, see, did that cheer did you, see, you up? Getting that? It in? did a little bit. Did you see? Uh, did you see that JPAT took a photo of me standing and tweeting yeah. the lines? Yeah. Did you see the person who photoshopped <laughs> a bell curve over my silhouette? I didn't, but that's amazing. <laughs> I'll show it to you. That's it was awesome. Actually very very. Good. Anyway, um, no, I, truly, truly, a lot of these optimistic takes are good. I've got some fades on some of you, some of the things you're looking forward to. Our dear listeners, but I love that you guys played along. Well, I and I'm think, sorry that I only have so much capacity for it. I do think a lot of them are like some people have texted and like I'm excited to see the PK. I don't think those people are inherently saying like the PK <laughs> is going to crush it. I think they're like I'm excited to see if the PK has improved. You know what I mean? Which oh I think yeah, is yeah, totally. Sorry, valid. I also think the PK will be improved. Like if you're excited because you think the Canucks, like first of all, if you're excited because you think the Canucks will be average on the penalty kill, like. Get a life. No, I completely disagree. <laughs> you're you're our people. If that's something that excites you, this is the okay. show for you. You're right, but like the PK is the worst. You know, like what you want is the PK to be average, so we don't have to talk about yeah, it. Yeah, but like you want, you're excited for that to be the case. Okay, okay. You know what that I mean? Fair. Uh, I don't think they're like I'm excited. If you're to watch excited the PK. to never talk about yeah, the PK, yeah, yeah, then no, I'm no, here no. with you. I think they're like I'm excited. To not be have this like f- fatal pessimism. Okay, sorry. About then, the PK. then, then you're right. Then you're our people. I don't think they're like, ooh, I'm excited to watch Teddy Bluger go to work. I don't <laughs> think that's it. <laughs> I also like this. My false hope. Drance, Drance stops shaming me for backing into parking lots or <laughs> parking stalls. Armon from Surrey. Sorry, Armon. Just don't do it if you don't have a truck or a sports utility vehicle. <laughs> We've also had, uh, I think, a couple people text in that they're uh, they're excited for the new coach bump in January. <laughs> I don't think it's coming. I don't think it's coming this year, guys. Uh, they're going to have to do it with uh, with Rick Tockett behind the bench. Uh, 650-650 is the Dunbar lover. <laughs> one last one. I hope the Canucks do really good this year so this Durance guy can be positive for once. From 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 your mouth to God's ears. Let's go. I do like this Durance guy. <laughs> they're just tuned in. They're like, this Durance guy? <laughs> I just heard on the radio. He seems What's his deal? He seems miserable. <laughs> <laughs> uh one last good one here actually which is not really related. Well, I mean it is, but not uh not a Vancouver Canucks thing for this year, but uh Knucklehead and the Kootenays. Shout out to the Kootenays. Looking forward to see how many goals Lekaramaki scores this year and if he makes the Canucks lineup next year. Next year feels early, but uh, I am excited just for him, more than anything it has to do with the Canucks. I'm excited for Jonathan Karamaki, hopefully, to have a really good season in Sweden. He's fun. Yeah. He's fun. You know? Uh, like, that could be... That's a, I think that's a valid, fun part of the year, right? Is seeing, you know, like, Faber and uh, and Cam Robinson post the clips from uh, from Sweden of guys lighting it up. Yeah, and I... I have I, no problem with that. I don't know about next year, but, I mean, I was singing the praises of Eli Tolvanen. Mm-hmm. And, like, I think that's a pretty good comp for Karamaki, to be totally honest with you. And, and it's like if the Canucks could get a like you know a Tolvanen quality guy um, out of Lakaramaki, especially given how last season went for him, I mean that would be great. That'd be incredible. You just don't want to lose him on waivers. But yeah, other than that, <laughs> do not put him on waivers. Don't waive the guy. <laughs> but no, I mean I truly like that's sort of the player type that I that I think he could be. Uh, he'll need to get a little bit better at playing inside, a little bit stronger, a little mm-hmm. bit better defensively to get to where Tolvanen is. But that's true for every young player. Uh, we will take a break. You can keep hitting us up with your thoughts, what you're excited to watch for the Vancouver Canucks. Uh, we will talk to the voice of the Canucks here on Sportsnet 650, Brendan Batchelor, in the next segment. Get his thoughts. Uh, what's he excited to watch for this team? That's coming up next. It is Canucks Talk, Sportsnet 650.
Welcome back to Canucks Talk here on Sportsnet 650. Jamie Dodd, Thomas Drance. Canucks Talk brought to you by Avenue Machinery and Douglas Lake Equipment. Be a champion on the worksite. Find them together online at DLEAMC.com. We are coming to you live from the Kintech studio. Kintech Footwear and Orthotics. Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 2,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintech.net. 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Uh, Now joining us on the phone line, he is the voice of the Canucks here on Sportsnet 650, our guy, Brendan Batchelor. Batch, has your heart rate settled down after the barn burner in Abbotsford last night? (laughs) I was just going to say, how nice is it to be able to say that there's only one preseason game. Oh, baby. Left. Yeah. And We're that was... almost there. I mean, there is like the four-day break between Friday and, and Wednesday. But nonetheless, the the meaningless games are coming to an end and the meaningful games begin, and we'll see how long they stay meaningful. And I don't know if it was like because it was in Abbotsford. I mean, obviously the Canucks didn't send their best lineup. We'd heard Rick talk and talk about the importance of the fourth and the sixth games, not the fifth, which that one was. But that just felt like the most preseason game of all the preseason games that they've played so far. You know what I mean? Like from both sides, it was just like, yep, this is preseason hockey right there. And, you know, based on that, like, yeah, we're, we were excited maybe to see how Cole McWard does and how some of the other players jockeying for position. But can you really take away anything, even from an individual level, in an environment like we saw last night? Not really, to be perfectly honest. I mean, I think the most interesting stuff to come out of last night is, like, jockeying for position from the AHL guys in terms mm. of who might deserve the first call-up. Um, you know, I thought Aturatu had a pretty good game. Guys that, that you would expect to have good games, I thought did. I thought both Susie and Hironic settled into the game nicely after, you know, some mistakes in the first period. And I thought they looked pretty good as a pairing down the stretch. Um, but but other than that, like, you know, I, I don't even want to read too much into the way Casey DeSmith played because he barely faced any shots in the first half of the hockey game. And, um, you know, it, it wasn't an NHL roster on either side, even though the Kraken had a few of their guys, just like the Canucks did. Um, you know, it, it's one of those games that uh, it's for the fans, right? It's a great atmosphere out there at Abbotsford. It, it's, you know, clearly important to the organization that they take that game out to the Valley every year. But it certainly didn't have the star power of the McDavid game last year in Abbotsford. And, um, you know, we, we see... I think a perfect example of of what you want to take away from that game is the fact that they called six guys up to dress in it, and all six of those guys were sent back down to Abbotsford this morning. Patch, what are your thoughts on Cole McWard? Is he ready to be more than a fill-in at the NHL level? That's such a tough question. I know. I phrased it to be as difficult as possible. Because... I would say at this point, if he makes the NHL roster, I would still characterize him as a fill-in to start the season because it's clear that, you know, there's a gaping hole on the right side of their blue line. And you could say it's a, it, it's something that they, they haven't addressed yet. And it's something that McWard probably isn't ready to address. And I would imagine that, you know, again, I, I, not to take anything away from the kid because I think he's had a great camp. I think of the options they have on that right side, he is the best 
option that they've they've come up with in terms of actual right shot defensemen. You know, uh, in my opinion, they could probably explore uh, left shot defensemen on the right side a little bit more thoroughly than they have. But uh, I keep waiting for the other shoe to drop. I keep waiting for someone to shake loose on waivers or for them to have a, a trade that maybe they're they're sitting on that they that they move on. Uh, but maybe that that other shoe to drop is Ethan Bear, and you know I, I guess we'll have to wait and see how that goes because it's not a guarantee that he would re-sign with the Canucks because he now you know is available to to sign with whoever he wants once he's healthy and ready to come back, and you know that doesn't seem to be like it's anywhere on the horizon in the near term. So for a team where the focus the start of the season is so crucial and you know, getting through this first road trip and and keeping themselves in the fight for as long as possible and not falling behind the eight ball. That sort of messaging and that sort of analysis on, on going into this season kind of doesn't jive with Cole McWard playing NHL minutes right away. On top of the fact that I think this organization you in this management group in particular has slow cooked a lot of their guys, right? Like you know, all the players in Pittsburgh that they left in the AHL for many years and then would come up and, and be ready to go and be meaningful contributors. So it, it kind of doesn't jive with, with everything else we talk about around this team to me to see Cole McWard in the starting lineup. But all of that said, if there isn't a better option, if there isn't another shoe to drop, then he is going to be a fill in for now. But uh, you know, am I going to sit here today and say, I expect Cole McWard to play 60 plus games at the NHL level this year. No, I, I don't expect that. And I think if that does happen, something has probably gone wrong for the Canucks. Are you surprised at all, Batch, given a lot of what you just laid out there, you know, especially your point about the preference for really slow cooking the young players that we saw in Pittsburgh from from this management group. Are you surprised that Noah Juleson hasn't gotten more of a look? I know he was a part of the, the, the 10 nothing debacle in Calgary, but it's not like he was the only guy who played really poorly there. And just, you know, the NHL experience he has over McWard, the experience specifically playing with Quinn Hughes down the stretch, it does feel like, like I can't imagine that the drop-off from McWard to Juleson, it would be that significant. And if, if anything, Juleson might be a stronger option in that spot. Especially defensively. Yeah. Um, you know, in terms of puck moving ability, I, I, I think McWard probably has him edged out there. But uh, so it, it, this is such a hard thing to analyze because of the way they've managed the preseason and Juleson's preseason mm-hmm. in particular, where like part of me says, They've ruled out Juleson. They they haven't liked him uh, in in camp this year. Maybe there's other factors that we don't know about, and that's why he hasn't even gotten a look. Or he is their fallback plan. He is the guy that they feel most comfortable with on the right side, and they're giving Cole McWard every opportunity to play his way in front of Noah Juleson, and then at the end of preseason, they can sit down and say, okay, we don't think McWard's ready. Juleson's sort of our, our safety option. But if that's the case, wouldn't you want that guy to play a little bit more and play more with Quinn Hughes going into the season? So I'm, I'm kind of baffled by it, and, and it's going to be fascinating to see what the lineup looks like on Friday because, you know, talk, talk so much about game four and game six of the preseason being his dress rehearsals, and it certainly looked like a pretty close to NHL roster in game four um, when they won the other night on home ice against the Oilers. 
So we're going to get a very good idea of what they want to do here by what they what they dress in, in game six. And with Noah Juleson not playing last night, which quite surprised me, actually, because I thought with all these defensemen that are battling for spots and on the bubble, if you want to call that, that we would see McWard, we would see Juleson on the right side, and then we would see both Willanen and Brisebois on the left side. And Juleson was the only guy out of that group that did not play and in fact was skating with the non-playing group which featured Pedersen and Miller and Hughes and Demko so you know part of me says they haven't played him much in the preseason so they don't think he's the fit and the other part of me says but he's skating with all the veterans who sat out last night's game because you know they're going to be on the team where is he going to fall in this conversation I think what it'll come down to is I expect him to be on the roster because I expect them to go with eight defensemen and they'll probably go with four left shots and four right shots. I mean, I guess it remains to be seen what they decide to do in terms of which defensemen they're going to um, send down or expose to waivers. And waivers are another factor in this that, you know, is an interesting situation in terms of what defensemen they might be most or least likely to lose. Um, but all of this to be said, that, like, I have no idea what they're going to do with Noah Jolson, and, and I'll be fascinated to see which direction it goes in. What have you seen at training camp to this point from Ilya Mikheyev? And has anything you've seen suggested or given you confidence in um, maybe him being ready to play, if not on opening night, then uh, on that first road trip? Yeah, I don't know if it'll be opening night. It wouldn't surprise me if it's the first road trip because he has started to ramp things up a little bit in terms of his on ice involvement. The first time we saw him, he was out there early in the skate, but then didn't take part in line rushes and left the ice early. That hasn't been happening of late. And even though he's still been in the the non-contact Jersey, his participation has increased. And Rick Tockett is now talking about getting him involved in more battle drills and and drills where there's lots of bodies and, and lots of contact. So, um, while Tockett was willing to rule him out for the rest of the preseason, he sort of alluded to the fact that the doctors aren't willing to commit to opening night, but also it hasn't been ruled out yet either. So yeah, I think we'll learn a lot about Mikheyev's timeline as soon as practice tomorrow in terms of, you know, does the non-contact jersey come off? Is he more involved in more physical drills? Uh, is he skating on a regular line and not being rotated out? These are the kind of things that, that I look for at practice to try and determine if a player is getting closer. And we have seen some of that increased involvement, but until it's a full contact practice, until you know he really seems to be a full participant in everything the group's doing, until he really is exerting himself and pushing himself to a great degree, it's kind of hard to peg that timeline, but because of the fact things have started to ramp up, it would not surprise me at all if he gets in on that first road trip, if not for the opening night game against the Oilers. Batch, what did you see? Like, you know, I also came away from last night with few takeaways. Yeah. But it certainly feels like runway is at least getting short on guys like Brisebois, Wolanin. Um, you know, maybe even Hoaglander, Beauvillier, you know, a, a bunch of guys who realistically were still auditioning for something and, and kind of were flat 
uh, across the board. Um, do you think there is something to take from last night? Maybe just not something that's positive in terms of a guy. Um, you know, was there was there a case made or in the absence of a case made by some of the Canucks players in the lineup last night? <laughs> yeah. Well, it, this is why the preseason to me is so difficult to analyze because I try and put myself in the shoes of a guy that's for sure on the team but is playing in that game last night. And I think a perfect example is the quote-unquote fight that Tyler Myers had where he wanted no part of that fight because he knows that the real games don't start for a week. And so he doesn't want to throw a punch and hurt his hand. He doesn't want to take a punch and, you know, have a a facial injury or something like that. So he just holds on, gets through the fight against a, a scrappy guy like John Hayden, who is playing for something on the Seattle side and goes and sits his five minutes of the box. And, and that's that. And so as, as much as I, I see what you're saying about a game like last night, you would love to see Besser and Kuzmenko dominate and, and produce tons of offense. And you'd love to see Beauvillier really make a case to be a top six forward at the same token. I put myself in those guys shoes. And if I'm one of the veterans that's playing in that game with mostly American hockey league players on both sides, let's be honest, you know, am, am I more worried about really making a case to the head coach in that game or am I worried about just getting through it and making sure that, um, you know, I, I don't have an injury and that I could be ready for the real dress rehearsal on Friday and the real start of the season on Wednesday. So, you know, it, it's like early in the preseason where people will want to really analyze the top players and it's clear that they're still sort of working themselves up to it because they know that they, they're not living and dying with every shift. And that's kind of how I felt about that game yesterday for some of those veteran players. Now, the difference is it's not early in the preseason, but it was a late preseason game that felt like an early preseason game, if that makes sense, where it wasn't a, a reflective roster on either side. You know, neither team's projected starting goaltender was in the game. So, you know, would I like to see more from some of these top players like Kuzmenko and Besser and Bovillier? Yes, I would. But I also wouldn't want to rule any of those guys out of a job based on how they did or didn't perform in a game like that. Maybe Hoaglander is a player that we can read into a little bit more. Um, You know, I've liked some of the underlying things in his game, but there hasn't been a lot of offense there. Um, You know, one of the things that he's often criticized for is not hitting the net very effectively when when he gets shooting chances. And, you know, to me, he wasn't really in a lot of those scoring opportunities in the game yesterday and a player like that they know he has offensive ability I would imagine he's going to be judged more on his play away from the puck and how effectively he buys into the staples of Rick Tockett's game as as he likes to to talk about them and uh, I find those things sort of harder to analyze in a setting like that in Abbotsford so uh, we'll get a a good idea of what the coaching staff is thinking come tomorrow night and, and come the last preseason game here and and having a look at, at where these decisions fall and who ends up on waivers, if anybody has to, or, or how they end up going forward. Um, but let's put it this way. I don't think anybody cemented their place yesterday, whether they were in or out of the lineup in terms of guys that hadn't already cemented things. And, you know, that's one of the fascinating things and also one of the concerning things about this point in the preseason is, you know, the only thing that I think I can say for sure is that we're going to see Phil DiGiuseppe, JT Miller, and Brock Besser on a line together on night one. 
And after that, everything else feels in flux. And that's probably not where you want to be with under a week left to go until you start the regular season. Yeah, especially because so many of those battles, it's not as if it's two guys who are performing really well battling for it, right? It feels like with these roster spot battles and lineup battles, we're waiting for someone to really step up uh, and take hold of it. Now, you know, one of the trends in the preseason batch has been the Canucks struggling to generate a lot at five on five, even in the win against Edmonton. You know, they score a bunch of those goals on the power play. I think a big caveat here is that, you know, JT Miller, Elias Pettersson, obviously not not playing at anywhere close to the intensity and the level uh, we would expect them to be at in the regular season. And that's not a criticism. That's how veterans get ready in the preseason a lot of the time. But, you know, with that caveat in mind, are you concerned at all about the Canucks' ability to score at even strength this year? Not yet. And I think it's because of all of those things you alluded to where – you know, most of these games haven't had a full lineup. There's only the one game where pretty much all of the regulars were in the lineup. And, you know, even though they scored two power play goals, that was still the game where they scored, you know, three goals that weren't on the power play. So um, I'm not there yet, but I think sort of the, the theme of this conversation going into the season is going to be, can they both produce offense and be defensively sound at the same time? Or are they not capable of doing that? Because that's essentially the two teams we've seen over the past couple of years. We've seen the Vancouver Canucks that were a lot better defensively, but couldn't put the puck in the net under Travis Green in, in his late tenure as the head coach of the team. And then under Bruce Boudreau, we saw the team that couldn't defend a lick and needed to rely on their goaltender, but filled the net at the other end of the ice. We have not seen this team both produce offense consistently and defend effectively consistently at the same time. And that is going to be the challenge for them. Um, if they are a better team defensively, which is clearly what a lot of the focus is about, it's clear that um, they are playing lower event hockey than they were last year, at least to this point in the preseason. And I would imagine that's something that Rick Tockett wants to see because let's be honest, things were too high event for all the wrong reasons for most of last season. So you want to play lower event hockey in your own zone. At the same time, you want to produce a lot of offense at the other end of the ice. And this team's ability or inability to do that is going to really define how successful they are this year. Because if you want to be a playoff team in the NHL, you have to be able to do both. It can't be uh, you're losing every game one, nothing, or you're losing every game seven, six, right? It's, it's gotta be, you know, you gotta have a you know a three, two win, a four, two win. You've still got to be able to produce offense, but you got to make sure that the other team isn't filling your net too. And um, it, it remains to be seen whether the changes they've made, particularly on the blue line and in the bottom six with some of the penalty kill guys they've had. And, you know, if there is one takeaway from last night, I thought Pew Suter was really good on the penalty kill. Yeah, so that's a good point. He was awesome. Yeah, so that's something that you, you can you can build on, and Teddy Bluger's looked good on the penalty kill. Um, you know, that that kind of could govern their ability to, to defend more effectively, which might be able to free up their horses to produce more offense. And if that is the case, then that's going to set them up really well. But because we haven't seen the full lineup enough, it's hard for me to say that I expect them to struggle to produce offense, and it's also hard for me to say whether they're going to be a stout defensive team or not. Uh, the only thing I can say is if, 
if these trends and particularly the lack of offense trend carries over into the regular season, then they better be better defensively because if not, then they're going to lose games and they'll lose them early. Yeah, the uh, the Pew Suter th- comment is dead on. He was excellent four on five last night. Um, it's been a little bit of a quiet camp for him in part because I think he's among those veteran players who's kind of got a got a gig sewed up, as it were, batch. But what have your overall impressions of him been throughout the course of the preseason and training camp and, and what you've been able to glean? Yeah, I, I would agree it's been quiet for him, I think, Last night was probably the loudest performance in a good way, particularly as as you know we alluded to there on the penalty kill. I don't know if if Pew Suter is going to be a player that is a loud player in terms of his performance jumping out at you, but he's one of those guys that they really needed down the lineup to kind of solidify things and. You know, I know he's been a, what, a 14, 15 goal scorer every year he's been in the league. So there is offense there. I just wonder, and again, we'll wait and see how things go, but in terms of the way he's deployed and the way his line is deployed, whether there will be as much opportunity to produce that much offense with this team, but at the same time, you see some of the things that, that they haven't had in a third-line center, some of the defensive responsibilities, the penalty-killing ability. Um, these are the kind of things that, you know, aren't going to be on the marquee or, or you know, don't get you the, the huge, massive contract that are the big payday, but they're things you need down your lineup to have success. And so, uh, you know, obviously you want offense from the bottom six. If you can have a bottom line that is around, you know, a 10 to 15 goal scorer, I think you're going to take that every day of the week. But the things I've been impressed with in his game – are the penalty killing, are the defensive side of things. You know, I, I don't have in front of me, or I, I probably don't track it in the preseason, but I feel like he's probably been pretty good in the face-off circle just from my feel of having watched these games, and that's something they're going to need as well because, you know, Pedersen has improved in the face-off circle, but historically he hasn't been great. Um, Niels Oman is not a very good face-off guy, and it's part of the reason why he's been deployed at the wing a lot of the time through the preseason. Um, but you know, Suter kind of fits that role of, of kind of, you know, filling in some of those holes that, that they've had in their lineup in terms of what a, a guy in the bottom six can do for them, as has Teddy Bluger. The thing I'm concerned about is if you have an injury to one of your, your top two centermen and suddenly Pew Suter is thrust into a top six role, essentially like he was last night because he was playing, wasn't it, between Bovillia and Kuzmenko. So that's the, the Pedersen spot right about now in terms of what we've seen from the line rushes and from practice to this point. And it's not like they were dynamic offensively with him on that line. So uh, if he's cast, you know, it's a different position, but it kind of reminds me of the conversation we had around Spencer Martin, where when he was coming in as the backup, he did pretty well. When he had to be given the starter's role and had to run with it, he struggled. That's kind of how I would look at Pew Suter in, in analyzing how his season may or may not go. If he can be that third-line center, provide some secondary scoring, be a good, good penalty killer kind of guy down your lineup, then I think he's perfectly cast. He's going to do really well, and he's going to help this team. But if he's asked to play a bigger role than that at all, then that's a problem, and I don't know if he'll be able to do it. 
Batch, appreciate the time, man. Less than a week until the games that really count. I think that game next Wednesday is going to look a lot different than the game last night. So we have that to look forward to. Yeah, and honestly, the game tomorrow night is going to look a lot different That's true. than the game last night, too. So uh, we're almost there. Hang yeah, on. We did it. Thanks, buddy. Talk to you later. That is Brendan Batchelor, voice of the Canucks here on Sportsnet 650. Yeah, last preseason game tomorrow for the Canucks. They'll host the Calgary Flames, and uh, we will check in on the Calgary Flames with our guy Pat Steinberg from Sportsnet 960 in Calgary. Uh, some interesting roster moves by the Flames today, and uh, we'll, we'll take the temperature in Calgary. Final segment of the show coming up here. It is Canucks Talk on Sportsnet 650. Welcome back to Canucks Talk here on Sportsnet 650 with Jamie Dodd and Thomas Drance live from the Kintech Studio. 650 650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Dunbar Lumber with three stores to serve you in Ladner on Bridge Street or Dunbar Lumber Express at Ladner Center or Arbutus in Vancouver online at DunbarLumber.com. Pat Steinberg from uh, Sportsnet 960 in Calgary is going to join us in just a moment here. We will uh, get the update on the Canucks' final preseason opponent, and of course their divisional rival, tomorrow. One thing I'm curious to uh, to ask Pat about is get the vibe report from Calgary. And uh, we are now joined on the line uh, by Pat Steinberg from Sportsnet 960 in Calgary. Uh, Pat, how's it going? Thanks for doing this. Good boys, good to catch up. How we doing? We're doing very well. Uh, we are, as I'm sure you are as well, extremely excited for regular season hockey. Like we'll watch this game tomorrow between the Canucks and the Flames, but uh, it's time. We've we've done enough preseason. It's time to get the regular season going here. How many uh, how many games did you all do? Did you do eight? Are you doing eight preseason games as well? No, we had six. So the Flames played eight this year. Ugh. Oh, oh man! Every year, every year they play eight. It's too uh, long, man. Now, thank goodness. It's not. They do a split squad game, right? Uh, so it's really seven nights. Uh, so they did a split squad with Seattle, but it's just they should ma- match it out at four, and that's it. Like yes. the first three games of the preseason, what did they even matter with some of those rosters they're playing? Uh, I get it for for revenue, but match it at four, and then we're good. Yeah, and I mean, also, I mean, like, how long does it really take you to figure out the pecking order of your team? You know, I mean, the Canucks made cut basically everybody except like the final three guys after three preseason games. I don't know how, how much, uh, how much information teams are getting from those final three or four games after that point. Um, I did want to ask you, so I noticed in, uh, in Elliot Friedman's 32 thoughts column today, he had one item about Calgary and he says, uh, one night in Calgary has convinced me of one thing. The mood among the flames is much better than last season. Very, very different vibe in a good way. And I don't think it takes uh, a lot, of imagination to start thinking of reasons why that might be the case given the coaching change but you know you're there you're on the ground you're covering the team what's your sense of the vibe uh, amongst the flames and how much of a difference do you think that could make in their performance this year well i mean if you compare it to the last say three four months of what happened last year to the way things are right now yeah it is uh, night and day because Last year was miserable. Those after they 
And and the thing about last year was they got off the best six game start in franchise history. They were five and one to start the season. And you're thinking to yourself, oh, you know what? This this group, you know, maybe the all the hype, all these expectations people were putting on them. I mean, maybe this is for real. And then it just went completely off the rails. They went five and one, then lost seven straight and never got it back on the rails from there. And as it continued to unravel, it got more and more miserable. And like, if you're talking about, you know, people like me and, and, you know, the, the call uh, and my colleagues going to the rink and we're miserable and all we're doing is covering the team and we're only getting a smidgen of what's happening behind closed doors. Yeah, it was, it was a miserable, miserable last three, four months. And so season comes to an end, they make all their changes and yeah, it does feel like a different vibe. And I think there's a lot of different reasons for that. I think, first of all, you get you get away from the negativity. You know, on Green Garbage Bag Day or Locker Cleanout Day in April of this year at the end of last season, the, the there were five, six non-committal responses in terms of what futures look like in Calgary. You get a little away from that, and then they also make a change of general manager. And I'm not saying Brad Living was a negative influence because he wasn't. From a vibe standpoint, no, he wasn't. But... The, the the significant thing is there is that you bring Craig Conroy in and that guy oozes enthusiasm 24 hours a day. So you've got Conroy in as the general manager. He makes the call to go Huska as the head coach after Daryl Sutter was ousted. And so you have all that happen. Then players come back fresh with a little bit of time removed from that negativity. And all that combined has led for just a completely different feel around the group. So, yeah, you could feel it right from day one before they even hit the ice when they did their annual golf tournament. It just felt a little bit lighter. And then on the ice, it feels a little bit lighter. The team feels a little bit lighter. And and the other thing is, and I think this is something that is, is maybe starting to become a more more apparent now as camp comes to an end, I also think that the lack of expectations that will hang over this team this year has also contributed to them just feeling a little bit lighter and there's a little bit less pressure on everyone's shoulders. People were talking about the cup contending Calgary Flames last year and adding Huberto and Uyghur and Kadri. Maybe they're better than the team that, that won the Pacific Division the year before. And so... Now people look at him and say, oh, Huberto's coming off the, you know, the, the single largest season-to-season drop in NHL history, and, and what, what is Kadri, and, and are they too old? And so I think the fact that there are nowhere near the expectations on this team this year also adds to the fact that I, I think they kind of feel like they're, they're a little under the radar, and it's a little easier to have some pep in your step in early October when you're under the radar like they are right now. And whether or not they'll be – uh, under the radar all year, whether or not they will surprise people, whether or not they'll live up to kind of middling expectations, we don't know. But I just think that adds to the feel around things a little bit too. Pat, how's Huberto looked over the course of training camp? Um, it's interesting. He's looked definitely, first of all, like he is is um, presenting far more comfortable, presenting far more uh, he's enjoying himself more. And so I think from that standpoint, that is very noticeable. He's joking with us more. He's more at ease. He's more comfortable, more smiles on the ice. But I also think, especially in the on-ice sessions we've watched in practice, 
Ortiz looks a whole lot more dynamic. There's been a whole lot more of that Huberdeau flash and dash that, that comes along with his package and, and what comes along with what he brings to the table. And so there's been a whole lot more of that. Have we seen that in preseason games? The first one, uh, and, and you, you all saw what happened that Sunday night, the 10 nothing win over whatever the Canucks decided to dress up in Canucks jerseys that night. And, they, you know, the, Huberto looked great that night, and, and he looked very dynamic. In his preseason action since, he's looked fine. He's had a couple of points. What is really interesting and what will be really interesting to see is how Huberto and Elias Lindholm work and what type of connection they can build as the games start mattering for real. Because on the power play, I think Huberdeau's looked much better. In practice, Huberdeau's looked very dynamic. But what we need to see in the regular season when games matter is Jonathan Huberdeau and Elias Lindholm uh, having a connection with one another. Because for the first little bit of the season, I don't think there's any question that they're going to try those two together. They started last year together and then got broken apart in early November and never really got put back together. And, and you know what? Huberto is having a miserable year. I don't think any center would have been a right fit for him with the year he was having. Well, this year he is a little bit more settled, a lot more settled. And so him and Lindholm together is going to be the biggest thing. And they've looked, eh, they've looked good at times. They've looked rather stagnant and pedestrian at times. So I would say, Drancer, that uh, definitely – he has. He looks more dynamic. He looks more exciting. He looks a little bit more dangerous offensively. But until we see him and Lindholm kind of work off each other a little more naturally, I, I still think we're not going to see as good a Huberdo as as possible. But I'm, I'm feeling. I'm feeling fairly confident that he'll have a better year this year than he had last year, even from watching him in the preseason and watching him in some of these practices. Yeah, it's hard to believe that a player of his caliber and his offensive ability is going to be down where he was last year uh, for two years in a row. And, you know, you mentioned Elias Lindholm there, and obviously the, the pending UFA situation has been a big talking point in Calgary. Now, Backlund gets done on an extension. Uh, what's your sense of where the Lindholm one is trending? Could, could there be another extension uh, in the works and possibly announced soon in Calgary there? I, I think what we're going to see is the two sides take another run here over the next few days, uh, over the next week or so. Flames open on Wednesday, and I think what we'll see is, is the two sides try one more time to kind of hammer out something they're both okay with. And, you know, there's been a big deal on the table for some time. I, I believe the Flames, like, in the early stages of this conversation, going back in the summertime, put a contract on the table at eight years at around $9 million per. And I think that, table, that, that, that deal and, and the framework of that deal or kind of the basics of that deal have been there to negotiate on. But it kind of had felt like over the summer, the Flames said, well, here's the deal and let's talk when you want to talk, let's talk. And so there wasn't a whole lot of engagement on the Flames to say, hey, do you want to work on this deal? deal? And the Lindholm camp uh, had some things that maybe they wanted to change in it. And so didn't sound like there was a ton of communication over the summer once that the kind of the initial framework of the deal was tabled by the Flames. And so now I think that that framework is still there and that's still a good basis to work on. And, and I think now they'll t- 
take a run at trying to hammer out the rest. And I wonder, I wonder about the bonus structure and the signing bonus structure, how much that's going to come into it. I mean, for the first time ever, Huberto's deal last summer was very signing bonus laden, and the Flames had never really signed a contract like that before. So is that something the Lindholm camp is really pushing for? So that's going to be interesting. Is, is the 9 mil, is that in and around where it's going to be? Do they want, is it 9-2, is it 8-8, is it 8-5? Like, I, that, that I think there's a little bit of wiggle room and a little conversation to have. So I do think they're going to take a run at it. I do think there's a shot that something gets done before the start of the regular season. But I, I would not say that the feeling is that, you know, it's imminent. It felt like Backland was imminent for a good week, week and a half, and they just needed to hammer out the details. I still think they're going to try to hammer out some details, but it doesn't feel like it's as sure a thing. And, and on the Hannafin front, it seems even less sure a thing that something would get done between now and the start of the season. So I think there's a decent chance, guys, that Lindholm starts the season without a contract for next year. But I do think they're going to take a run here. And I do think that's something that we're going to have an eye on is can they announce and, and get an agreement done between now and Wednesday when they start the season. Pat, have there been any surprises at Flames camp in terms of what the lineup could look like on opening night? A few. Um, first of all, they've had a good chunk of injuries and some unforeseen things, which has thrown a little bit of a wrinkle into the conversation. Oliver Shillington is uh, still dealing with some stuff in, in his life and hasn't been ready to start the season and hasn't been ready to start a training camp. And he was a guy that they had penciled in as a no-questions-asked, everyday top-six defenseman on the team. So that took a player away from their plans. And then Jacob Pelche gets injured early on in the preseason in that split squad game with Seattle. So Pelche is done for months. He had shoulder surgery this week. He's not coming back anytime soon. And Kevin Rooney, who was in line to be their number four center, uh, he, 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 I don't know if he separated or dislocated, but he hurt his shoulder in a practice over the weekend. And he's out months. He'll have surgery here. So that has thrown a little bit of a wrench into the ideal or kind of the penciled in lineup. So surprises, I think the number one surprise has been uh, Matt Coronado and not the fact that he's in the mix in this conversation, not the fact that they're trying to um, work him in, but how well, how well he's played. I mean, okay, so he gets the four points in that 10 nothing win over Vancouver, but it's the first game of the preseason and was pretty slanted lineups. Well, he's just continued to impress since then as the lineups have gotten better. And in his last game, he didn't play yesterday's game on the road in Edmonton. So the last home game they played on Monday, Coronado was really strong in a home win over the Winnipeg Jets. Ken had a number of points, uh, a goal and two primary assists, scored the game winner, was shooting, was dynamic. It was a pretty decent Jets lineup. And you're starting to think to yourself, hey, I mean, Matt Coronado looks like he absolutely can not just make the team, but be a guy that makes him a little bit better. Give him something they didn't have last year, and that was, or, or they definitely don't have now. Um, and that is a, a, a right shot, middle six, genuine scoring threat. And he's looked like that so far through the preseason. So I'd say Coronado and how good he's looked and how pretty much set in stone it is that he'll be in the opening day lineup. That's been a bit of a surprise because I thought it might be a little bit more touch and go, but it's been fairly emphatic. Um, and then the, the conversation about 
who's going to take that spot as kind of the number four center. And the guy that has maybe jumped up out of nowhere is the forgotten guy in that blockbuster trade with Florida last year, and that's Cole Schwint. I mean, the Flames got Huberdo, they got Uyghur, they got the first-round pick, and obviously Kachuk and the pick went the other way. But there was one more part of that package, and it was Cole Schwint. And we didn't know a whole lot about him. He'd seen a little bit of NHL time. He'd been decently productive in his time in the American League, but had himself a pretty, uh, I don't know, meh season in the American League last year and spent all year with the Calgary Wranglers in the AHL last year, was getting healthy scratched at times in the playoffs. And so for him to come to camp and, and, Kind of right now looks like he's the guy that's going to start the year as the the number four center on this team. That's been a little bit of a surprise too. Part of that is because there have been some injuries. I don't don't think that if Pelche and Rooney are healthy, that Schwint would be in this conversation. But you got to take advantage, and he's been aside from last night, he's been pretty decent in the faceoff dot. He's been good defensively, good uh, in a penalty killing role. Again, relative to the role that he's going to play as the number four center. So those would be the two drafts. I would say the um, I would say the the Matt Coronado kind of pop, and the fact that Cole Schwint is the guy who's kind of emerged as one of the last guys to potentially solidify a spot on the team to start the year. Pat, uh, Flames made some roster moves today and some cuts, and including probably most notably sending the goalie Dustin Wolf down mm-hmm. to the AHL. There's been so much talk about the goaltending situation. I know, you know, Dan Vladar's name has been out there in, in trade rumors. Obviously, Tampa has a big uh, opening at goalie right now. When do you expect to see Dustin Wolf back with Calgary? And is this a case of when he comes up, it's going to be on a full-time basis next time he comes up? Well, this is going to be a really interesting thing to watch. So going to the American League was kind of telegraphed, I would say, for the last week and a half, two weeks. Dustin Wolf needed to have the most emphatic goaltending camp that you were ever going to see for him to usurp Bladar on the depth chart and put Bladar kind of in the crosshairs for a waiver, uh, a waiver stint and, and being exposed to waivers or to force the Flames into a trade maybe they didn't want to make. Because they, they feel like Bladar's an asset and they don't want to make a trade just to make a trade or just to open up a spot. They want to make a trade from a position of strength and get commensurate value back. And they haven't really been able to find that when it comes to Vladar of late. So Vladar is the guy with the, um, with the more experience. He's the guy that I think that you are, and he's had the better preseason uh, aside from last night. And so I think Vladar has done enough to keep his spot as the number two for now. And Wolf hadn't done enough to really challenge that his preseason and training camp has been kind of just average. So it's been telegraphed that way for a little bit. But here's the interesting part. You ask, is the next time he gets recalled going to be like his full-time NHL calling? I don't know if that's going to be the case. For the next year, they've got waiver exemption in Dustin Wolf, and I think they're going to use it for the first little bit. And they're going to try to find some time where they can – fit Wolf into NHL games and it works with the AHL schedule and it works with the NHL schedule and you can go look at it and there's probably in the first half of the season seven or eight times when that does work if not more and so they want him to stay playing so he'll get lots of time with the Wranglers and then when they can they want to give him that carrot of 
okay, you got your first NHL game last year. Let's see if we can get you, you know, in the first half of the season, maybe we can get you six or seven and, and then revisit what this trade conversation is going to look like. So I think we might see Wolf shuttled back and forth uh, a few times in the early stages of the season, at least in the first half of the season, get him a couple of NHL games and then have him play with the Wranglers for the most part. And most of the time, they're not going to carry three goaltenders full time, but I, I think that's something to watch. And it wouldn't be, you know, Nashville did it for a couple of seasons off and on with UC Saros when Pekka Rene was still the guy. Uh, Florida did it a little bit last year and has, do, has done it a little bit with Spencer Knight in working him into the equation. So it wouldn't be unprecedented for a team to do this. And so that, that's going to be one of the more curious stories to watch as the year goes on. How they manage those three goaltenders and how they manage getting Dustin Wolf some NHL time, if that's something they want to do, they seem like it is something that they want to try. Pat, there is light at the end of the tunnel. Final preseason tilt tomorrow. Thank Thanks goodness. for doing this. We appreciate it. See you guys. Good to talk to you as always. That is Pat Steinberg from Sportsnet 960 in Calgary. Eight preseason games for the uh, for the Calgary Flames. It's a lot. A truly incredible number. Um, I realize we should have done this. We should have done both of these in the same day because I think to what we did, you know, what are we excited for today? I think we, we could do, like, biggest concerns and throw it to the listeners tomorrow. We probably no, should have done both in the same day. But that's the rest of our show. No, but, like, I think it's interesting <laughs> to hear from the listeners. Oh, okay. You know what I mean? I think we'll throw it to the listeners, but you're right. Uh, I did want to read yeah, some of Yeah, let's do it the... tomorrow. That's fine. Yeah. We'll do it tomorrow. Yeah. Uh, bookmark I did... it. There we go. We're going to bookmark it. Yeah. Okay. Fold we'll the page. Start, start thinking. Start thinking about it now. <laughs> I'm always thinking about what... Dude, yeah, I know you are. I don't tell uh, you that. That's all I do. That and wild parlays on Thursday night football. You're the only they're... person who's excited for for Bears Commanders tonight. I don't think they're that wild. <laughs> Define wild. Yeah. If by wild you mean it's got a 45 percent chance of hitting. <laughs> if you mean wild, you mean an absolute lock. Yeah. Um, a mortal lock. I did want to read some of the uh, partially sarcastic um, responses to the what are you most excited about uh, question we threw out earlier. This one I really like because uh, it's it's two sarcastic ones, but then he ends on a, on a serious note. He says, most excited to watch, one, injuries to key players, in brackets, how the plan falls apart. Two, Patterson's play and how he's too good for this team and won't resign. And then three, how the free throw, how the free flowing power play might be exciting and unpredictable. So he ended on a genuine one there. Uh, I appreciate that from the uh, from the texter. Six fifty, six fifty is the Dunbar Lumber text line. And you know the power play. I don't know if excited is necessarily the right word. It's definitely high on my like curiosity rankings. Right, a complete overhaul of the power play, adjusting to uh, Bo Horvat's absence. Just trying to do things completely uh, different. See, that would be power play is going to be on my concern list, and I think that's fair. I think like either way, just what what does it look like? How long do they stick with it? What's the kind of level they find? The rhythm they find? They're they're major questions for F- me. Well, and no no designated power play coach remains. I think one of the like in this market, given how in crucial power play production has been to this team. To not have a designated power play coach while significantly overhauling the the overall sort of schematic way mm-hmm. it works, to me, just feels like a massive risk. I wouldn't go so far as to say reckless because, you know, Rick Tockett knows what he's doing. This is a guy who was a power play assistant yep. who ran a power play for a back-to-back Stanley Cup champion. So, uh, you know, 
doff my cap in respect, but it feels like a huge swing, a huge swing. It has to work. Yeah, it's it's one of those things where, again, uh, whether you're excited about it, concerned about it, whatever, like in terms of the curiosity factor is off the charts. Like, off the what's charts. it going to look like? How is it going to perform? Who Who's going to you know settle into what role? How is the coaching experiment? Like, are, I'll be curious to hear like how much we learn about you know what influence are the Sedins having on the power play throughout the course of the season? What influence is Sergei Gonchar having? Like, how much is Rick Tockett doing? Like, w- learning what that division of labor looks like is going to be yeah, and how much, really fascinating. How much influence can a part-time coach have on one aspect of a yeah. team's special teams? You know, I, like I buy that he can have a huge impact on player development. But on the power play day to day, the day to day grind, really of, hard. Hey, we're prepping for Team X. Really hard if you're not around. around. Yeah. Uh, so that's one that uh, is going to be fascinating to watch. Uh, all right, we will be back tomorrow. Final show of the week. Final preseason game for the Canucks. Wow, I thought Thank we had goodness. another segment. Oh, <laughs> really? Yeah, yeah. You're well, like, we'll do it tomorrow. I was like, we could also like just do it. <laughs> Incredible time management on display. <laughs> no, we will be back tomorrow. We will wrap up the show right now. Uh, keep it here, right here on Sportsnet 650. I legit.